Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. You have made it to Friday, and so have we. It's the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy news for conservatives, all related to Joe Biden's interview on Morning Joe today, which we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, Jim, I know every day feels the same, but uh, we're now in our third different month with this uh, shutdown or lockdown or sheltering in place or social distancing, whatever you want to call it. It's now technically May, even though it feels like everything kind of froze in mid-March. Well, Greg, that is the hot rumor this morning. Um, (laughs) We are in a new month. It's yet to be confirmed. Certainly nobody can feel it. Um, We're we're, we're mostly joking. It is May 1st. Happy May Day to to all you commies out there. Um, But more significantly, I I think this this entire quarantine has been a fascinating lesson in how much we mark the passage of time through special events, you know, holidays, birthdays, uh, vacations, the, dis- the disruption of the routine. So that when your weekend days become kind of indistinguishable from your weekday days, everything starts to blur together and you end up in a circumstance where it feels like this is at least the 80th or 90th consecutive Wednesday that we've had. <laughs> That's right. Uh, as we've said all week, don't trust a commie. For all those who uh, want to advance communism, we've gotten a sneak preview here in some ways over the past few weeks, and it's not pretty. They would love for you to not have a job or to uh, make the same as everybody else. So anyway, let's move on to our uh, good, bad, and crazy martinis, and let's start with our good martini, which is probably the most surprising of the three, Jim, and that's that Mika Brzezinski actually did a pretty good job quizzing and interrogating Joe Biden today about the allegations made by former Biden staffer Tara Reid. This is the first time in, was it five, six weeks now, since the allegations uh, first came out in, in a major way, that Biden has actually been asked about it. And so uh, lots of different clips here today. But, um, you know, Mika and Joe have not been shy about the fact that they don't like Donald Trump and don't want him to be president. They've even said in recent days they don't see Joe Biden as a predator, but that did not stop Mika from asking a lot of relevant questions today. We're going to uh, get to a couple of them right here. First of all, here's what she asked Joe Biden in terms of why is there a different standard when it came to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford versus Tara Reid? You said if someone like Dr. Ford were to come out, the essence of what she is saying has to be believed, has to be real. No. Why? And no, what I said, it has why to be. Why is it real for Dr. Ford, but not for Tara Reid? There, because the facts are, look, she, I'm not suggesting she had no right to come forward. And I never, and I'm not saying any woman, they should come forward. They should be heard. And then it should be investigated. And then she actually listed a number of prominent Democrats from Stacey Abrams to Nancy Pelosi, who seemed to have a double standard on these two cases as well. Stacey Abrams uh, said during the Kavanaugh hearings, I believe women, I believe survivors of assault should be supported and the voice is heard. Kirsten Gillibrand tweeted, do we believe women? Do we give them the opportunity to tell their story? We must be a country that says yes every time. They now both support you. Nancy Pelosi falls into this category too, as well as many other leaders in the Democratic Party. Are women to be believed? Are women to be believed unless it pertains to you? And then, Jim, there's also what we'll talk about more in the second martini, the uh, the 
in-depth questioning about opening up the Biden records at the University of Delaware, which we'll get into much more in the bad martini. But, you know, you figure MSNBC would kind of roll over for Joe Biden on this. And there's probably some other questions that a lot of folks would have liked to have seen asked. But uh, Mika Brzezinski did not soft pedal this. She put Biden on the spot. No, she ate her Wheaties this morning. Um, And I think we may look back on this and contemplate this as a a miscalculation on the part of the Biden campaign. He's not been terrific in these television interviews and that this was a, you know, getting being asked questions about potential sexual harassment and assault are never a fun experience um, that Biden was probably going to have some answers that were either jumbled or mumbling or or not all that coherent. Um, I think what most impressed me were the follow-ups and when Biden would either answer you know, a lot a couple times he answered a question with a question it was kind of fascinating to see how frequently he mixed up the terms uh when he was talking about the national archives versus the university of delaware archives and when biden didn't answer the question she repeated it she did not uh let him go now it's also worth noting there are a couple questions where biden just didn't answer uh, i've heard a couple people insisting oh that was just a zoom delay um he couldn't hear the question and that's why he just kind of stared blankly into the camera I didn't see that at work in the other questions, um, so we will see. I am fascinated, uh, Greg, in that I, I put out a, just read a tweet, said, wow, you know, this is a, she really came at him with some persistent tough questions and follow-ups here, particularly in one three-minute segment that I had a link to. And um, Joe Scarborough, unsurprisingly, retweeted my kind words uh, for Mika Brzezinski. And all day long, I've been hearing from liberals who are furious, who insist that this was a hit, you know, she was out to get Biden, that she had an ax to grind, that she completely bobbled the question and that she looked like a deer in the headlights and not Joe Biden. And what's more, um, that she is some sort of closet Trump fan or supporter and is trying to sabotage Biden's campaign. The Democratic Party and the average Democratic, you know, particularly, particularly politically engaged Democratic voter now really, really needs this to not be a big deal for Joe Biden. They really need to be able to argue that, you know, uh, Donald Trump is this terrible sexual predator and that Joe Biden isn't. And the allegations of Tara Reid muddy those waters and suggest, well, maybe neither one of these guys is all that uh, terrific on that front. They, you know, needed this to be a the sort of interview where people could say, look, Biden has answered questions about this. It's time to move on. And he really didn't do a t- particularly good job of this at all. Therefore, Mika Brzezinski must now be the new public enemy number one, and she's, you know, the target of the resistance, and I'm sure you're seeing people demanding she resign and and all of that. So um, that's where we stand now, Greg. Mika Brzezinski, Trump supporter. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, it's fun to watch the left on Twitter when they see someone who's not Fox News or some other conservative, more conservative outlet, I should say, give a tough interview to a Democrat. I mean, you and I gripe about the media all the time. So we got to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt. But uh, when the left sees, you know, folks, they expect to kind of carry the water for them, give one of their own a tough interview. They're not ready for it. And that's what you're seeing today on social media and some other places. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm trying to think, you know, again, it was almost certain that, that Biden would have an interview with a female interviewer. I think there would just be a perception that a male interviewer just wouldn't handle this topic appropriately or anything. It's MSNBC. I don't think that things would have gone all that differently if he'd been on CNN. I, I, you know, he, he really should have been ready for all of these questions, and he seemed absolutely befuddled at the idea that uh, there'd be any value in going through his Senate records at the University of Delaware. And when asked, he was like, well, who would do it? Like it was the craziest idea in the world, you know. Um, again, if you this this is going to eliminate the usefulness of going after Donald Trump on his tax returns. 
You, yeah. If you're going to car- make the charge, what is he hiding? Well, you can't hide other things. All right, let's move on to our bad martini now, Jim. And uh, this is not only bad for Joe Biden, it's also just bad for transparency, which is usually what we want in politics. A uh, couple of different uh, uh, clips here as well. First of all, you've got uh, Joe Biden, and his first response was very, very clear. She, Mika laid out the allegation of exactly what he's accused of doing. He said, no, never happened, didn't happen, absolutely not. And then she uh, asked him again, in, in a different way, are you sure you're not aware of any sort of complaint? And here's what he said. Are you absolutely certain? Are you absolutely positive? There is no record of any complaint by Tara Reid against you. I am absolutely positive that no one that I'm aware of ever has been made aware of any complaint, a formal complaint made by or a complaint by Tara Reid against me at the time this allegedly happened 27 years ago or until the, I announced for pre- well, it was, I guess it was in April or May of this year. And then the the issue that we're probably going to spend the most time on here, and you just referenced a moment ago, Jim, the University of Delaware records. Uh, Here's Mika bringing that up and Joe Biden's amazing response. Do you agree with the reporting that those records were supposed to be revealed to the public and then they were resealed for a longer period of time until after you leave, quote, public life? And if you agree with that, if that's what happened, why did that happen? Because, look... The fact is that there's a lot of things that of speeches I've made, positions I've taken, interviews that, that, that I did overseas with people, all of those things relating to my job. And the idea that they would all be made public in the fact while I was running for public office, they could be really taken out of context. Their papers are position papers. They are documents that existed. And, and uh, that, that when I, for example, when I go, when I met with Putin or when I met with whomever and all of that to be fodder in a campaign. So there you go, Jim. It's not the most politically savvy move to say that you really can't uh, allow people access to these records because there's stuff in there that would make good campaign fodder. So I mean, poker face is not his strong suit, I guess. Yeah, and you're seeing a very much a argument of, uh, well, you know, the, this, this is just like Hillary and her emails. Okay, well, first of all, if you are a public servant, if you're an elected official, I think we in the public should get access to just about everything you write that does not involve uh, national security and all of your papers. And obviously in some cases you say, okay, for, for the purposes of executive privilege and, and uh, getting, you know, the best uh, un, unvarnished advice from people, you need to have them secret for a period of time. Okay. All right, fine. Uh, look, I mean, Biden's been in the Senate since, you know, the seventies. So at the very least, some of these uh, documents should be able to be released. And then the next question is, you know, the, the question from Mika Brzezinski was most reasonable was like, could someone go through these records just to see if there was any reference to Tara Reid? Um, and his, or he, he just seemed to act like, well, why would anyone do that? Well, because we want to verify <laughs> parts of her allegation. We have her telling this to various other um, neighbors and her mother and various other folks. Does this mean she's, everything she, she's saying is true? No, not necessarily. Someone, she could be exaggerating. She could be uh, muddling things that actually happened and, and you know, things that did not happen. Um, if you want to say it's kind of inconvenient that she's vice president for all these years and then she comes forward now, okay, fine. You want to make all those objections, you can. Um, but, you know, there's a chance that there's something in those files that would either corroborate her story or perhaps contradict her story. And Joe Biden doesn't want us looking there. And I think that's a, 
rather revealing uh, stance for him to have. I think it's, again, shocking he was not more prepared for this question. And I think that this, you know, look, this is less about Trump because you can point to other cases, other women who've made accusations against Trump. You can point to other cases where Trump has not revealed things like his uh, tax returns and other documents, cases where people in his uh, administration have used Gmail and other non-secure email systems that were not part of the public record keeping and things like that. Okay. Look, there's criticism for Trump. The giant, you know, case that is, you know, hanging over all of this is Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford. And the degree to which almost uh, everyone in the Democratic Party has switched their positions 180 degrees, right? I mean, the Believe All Women hashtag is now almost entirely used by conservatives, ironically. Um, Democrats now insist that when they said Believe All Women, they didn't really mean Believe All Women. They, you know, they very clearly decided, it does, they didn't believe, think it mattered that Christine Blasey Ford couldn't remember the specific date, couldn't remember the specific location, mentioned three names of people who are at the party and none of those people could corroborate her story. Um, that, you know, in their minds, none of that mattered. But in the case of Joe Biden, the fact that Reid may have told other people at the time, well, that doesn't really matter. And uh, the fact that she was an employee, well, that doesn't matter. You know, it is an entirely situational application of the standards of evidence, which is nonsense. And it shows, that in, you know, in, in the end, it demonstrates that throughout the, the entire Me Too revelations and, and kind of, cultural changes that swept through our society because of that, there was an enormous amount of political opportunism at work in that case. Yeah. And the, the point is here that you should take a more sober approach, but it's just such an opportunistic shift now by the Democrats. It's not like Republicans want to hang everyone by <laughs> their fingernails uh, if there's an accusation, but the Democrats are the ones that made the cultural rules on this one, apparently. So uh, it, it's, it's interesting to watch them kind of twist on this. Business Insider's been doing some reporting on this, Jim. Uh, I don't read them a lot, but uh, they have a reporter named Nicole Einbinder who tweets out, Joe Biden said that Tara Reid's complaint could only be at the National Archives at what was then called the Office of Fair Employment Practices. But a National Archives spokesperson told me they do not hold records from that office. Instead, and you'll love this, a Senate historical office staffer said the Fair Employment Practices records are governed by a Senate resolution mandating that, quote, records containing personal privacy, information closed by statute, and records of executive nomination are closed for 50 years. And also, Business Insider reporting that the Biden campaign, sometime between the point where he launched his campaign last April of last year and mid-March when the library closed due to the virus, uh, they went in there, and they say rifling through the documents, but they at least went in to look at documents. Who knows if that had anything to do with it, but uh, I'm, I'm sure folks are going to read it that way. So what do you make of uh, these particular revelations? Wow, wait, Greg, you're saying 50 years. God, that'd be like, that, that's almost like Biden's entire Senate career. <laughs> yes. In three years, we could that's, start looking at That's still at another, it. like, what, 25 years? <laughs> you know? Gee, basically ensuring that all personnel records from the Senate would be sealed for 50 years. Well, that's just good for accountability, right? There, there couldn't <laughs> be anybody trying to bury any bodies, so to speak, metaphorically, as far as I know. Uh, or any other scandals, right? That's, that clearly was enacted with the very best of intentions. Exactly right. It's a very different standard for the legislators than it is for the executive branch. And, you know, remember when we were in the, the thralls of the Me Too movement and all these uh, lawmakers being uh, accused and exposed and, hey, turns out taxpayer dollars were used to, to pay off these people in these settlements. Well, this is why we didn't hear about it, I think, is because all this stuff is, uh, is put under lock and key for 50 years. Look, you know, Greg, there's an old saying that sunlight is the best disinfectant. Uh, that's why we're allowing sunlight 50 years later. <laughs>
All right, last part of the bad martini. Regardless of the whole Reed uh, allegation, the comparisons between Dr. Ford and Tara Reed, uh, there were some moments here where once again we're reminded that Joe Biden has lost his fastball. Take a listen to some of these clips. Over 600,000 dead. Many of them are people who are those 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 workers, those nurses, doctors, some of them, because they have put themselves in a position to save other people's lives, protect the rest of society. And we talk about that number like 600 plus thousand people. There's each 60, and every 60, one of them. 60,000. Yeah, 60,000. We led, like Barack Obama led in the uh, corona, I mean, excuse me, in, 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 in the pandemic that occurred when we were in office. It was kept in Africa. You know, one of the things, uh, uh, the, every morning, this morning I didn't, I get a brief from medical docs on the, stat, the status of where things are. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, the former head of the, uh, anyway, one, one of the things that were stated, the analogy made, he said, there's all these machines. So there you go, Jim. Everybody says when he misspeaks or has a malapropism, it's, it's a stuttering problem. But the guy couldn't remember the name of Ebola, couldn't remember the name of this uh, doctor that he's been being, I think, briefed by. And then he repeatedly said we have 600,000 dead from coronavirus. So uh, even if uh, people do believe him on the Reed allegations, he didn't do himself any favors about whether he's ready for this job. No, and I think this is probably the bigger worry for Democrats right now. That, like, look, you know, he says six hundred thousand. He probably meant sixty thousand. Okay, fine. You know, we all we all have those verbal slip ups. Um, forgetting somebody's name or fine. Forgetting the name of the Ebola virus. Eh, okay. I mean, again, I assume Joe Biden spent a lot of time preparing for this uh, this interview. You, you'd like to think he'd have this kind of information at his you know mental fingertips. But that's okay. Let's assume. Uh, he didn't sleep well or, or he's under the weather. So something's keeping him from being 100%. Fine. Okay. The problem is you can point to a lot of interviews with Joe Biden recently that have kind of been on that same par um, where, and, and it's interesting, it, it's not a stutter issue it, it, by and large. It's the same thing I think we saw in the debates. You know, stutter, it's like when he begins a thought and he starts a sentence and he's about halfway through and suddenly he thinks of something else. So he stops and jumps to another one. And he's, so he does, but he doesn't finish the first thought. And then he goes for a while, tries to jump back to the first one, but then there's a third thought. And then he kind of segues into that. And you just end up, you know, the jokingly term is word salad, right? You get a whole bunch of sentence fragments. Um, and you look at the transcripts, you see these things. And you can kind of see it's not that he's, um, in most cases, that he's utterly confused. Uh, it, it's not that he's, you know, incapable of, of putting it anything together a, a bigger and kind of more frightening you know thing is just it's a matter of like there's all these thoughts going on in the head and they're not coming out clearly uh they're all a jumble and they're kind of coming out in in chunks instead of you know one complete beginning <laughs> beginning middle and end of a sentence um now in the end there are worse flaws to have but okay if you know, look one of the jobs of the president is to is to speak a lot and for people who say oh this has always been an existing uh stutter or, or issue that, that Joe Biden has always had. Like, they know we watched Joe Biden in public for decades, right? He's, we, we, we've all seen this guy be vice president. We've seen him in the vice presidential debates. We saw him in all kinds of events over the Obama years. We know what we think of as being normal from Joe Biden. And what we've seen pretty much since he jumped into the presidential campaign isn't the Joe Biden we remember. 
he looks like a 77 year old man who is having, you know, age catch up with him. Doesn't mean he's hapless. Doesn't mean he's helpless. You know, it, it, most of the time we get the gist of what he's saying, but he's just not as sharp as he used to be. Now, is that going to be enough to defeat? My, my guess is you're not going to see Democrats abandon him unless the polling shows that he's not going to beat Trump. That's why he got the nomination. That's the entire kind of strategy behind the Biden campaign. He can win. He'll be a return to normalcy. Uh, everybody else in the Democratic field represented a bigger gamble of whether that person could beat Trump. Well, we're going to see. Uh, again, polling looks okay for him right now. I think he's going to, you know, um, most Democrats are going to vote for him. You know, unless he has some sort of full-on, you know, meltdown, uh, most, you know, Democrats will be fine. And most Americans will say, yeah, okay, he's probably going to be fine. But let's face it, the subtext of a lot of this campaign is, eh, look, the vice president's going to do a lot of work. <laughs> in a Biden presidency. That can't be plan A for your, your, your campaign against Trump. That can't be what, uh, you know, the Democrats wanted to see. It's a little more of a bigger, it's a bigger gamble than they counted on. But uh, we will see. I think if you're a Democrat, maybe you're feeling a little more nervous, not so much because this issue with Tara Reid is going to derail the Biden campaign. Just look, everybody saw this coming, this issue coming for weeks. This was the best response he could give. And it was, you know, grading generously uh, a C plus really just barely acceptable. And uh, you know, if you're, if you're a little more skeptical of Joe Biden today was a very, very uh, significant, you know, stumble. Well, the good news, I guess, is if he thinks there are 600,000 dead from coronavirus, that's still a far cry from the 150 million he thinks were killed by guns since 2007. So. Yeah. And by and large, I mean, when you add up the millions killed by net neutrality <laughs> and the tax cuts, and, uh, and everything else the Trump administration has did. We've all died 10 times over. But, uh, well, he also, yeah. I'm sure, fired up the base by saying that he really sees himself as a transitional figure to the next generation. <laughs> That's what he said in the last couple of days. So uh, he's just endearing himself to everyone. As we move to our crazy martini, Jim, it really wouldn't be truly crazy without this development. Because with all the, the libs on social media this morning just losing their minds over Mika actually asking some tough questions, there was one who stood out and was actually piling on Joe Biden. And it's Peter Dow, who I think it's safe to say is pretty much a Hillary Clinton worshiper. And so you see that and you're like, well, he's clearly not for Trump. So he must want to not have Biden as the nominee. And you kind of feel in your gut where you think this is going. Here we go in the Hill. Uh, they talk about how Trump is beating Biden in enthusiasm, in money. You got 57% of Americans who think Trump's going to win. And so what can they do if uh, it's not going to be Joe Biden? And then it says, one idea has been to convince Biden to step aside in favor of the very popular Michelle Obama, but she has reportedly rebuffed all invitations to enter the fray. That leaves Hillary Clinton. Biden could choose Clinton as his running mate and then step down before the election and allow Hillary to run in his place. Jim, this is pure delusion, right? It is. And what's, what's, what's very strange is that it appears Hillary Clinton does not eagerly want to, uh, you know, is, she shows not to run in this cycle. Um, every now and then she says, you know, no, she's not interested in running. There's, there's not been any, <laughs> I, she endorsed Joe Biden. I have yet to see any, um, there was a little talk that she might not have endorsed or would have been reluctant to endorse Bernie Sanders if Sanders had been the nominee. I've not heard any serious talk about Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton as a, <laughs> as a ticket. Can you imagine that? Um, you know, it looks like Hillary Clinton is by and large, uh, you know, riding off to the sunset of a periodically jumping out and making some, you know, crazy claim that uh, 
husbands told their wives not to vote for her and that's why she lost or it's all Jim Comey's fault or something like that. Could have nothing to do with her, her qualities as a, as a candidate. The idea though, is interesting is that clearly there's an entire, you know, Clinton industrial complex that rose up around the, the presidential couple over the years who really were counting on those jobs in the Clinton administration and who basically, who maybe are recognizing that they've spent years of their lives working for the Clintons, defending the Clintons, um, doing whatever was needed to advance the Clintons. And then have found out that uh, the gravy train has ended and that the Clinton Foundation is not the big player it used to be. The, you know, there is no second Clinton administration for them to serve in. The party is largely moving on. There's not as much talk about Chelsea Clinton rising to take some sort of off. You know, the, the Clintons are probably getting ready to, you know, to head off and, and live happy lives away from the world of politics. And for everyone who traveled with them, this is their, the, the foundation of their world collapsing. There is no tomorrow. There is no better, you know, pot of gold at the rainbow to, to justify all this labor they've put in. And so you see this, like, we're, we're, we're now in that bargaining stage. Well, wait, 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 maybe, maybe Biden can't do it. Maybe the DNC and I think we'll, we'll have a virtual convention. No, it's not going to happen, guys. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but they don't want to accept it. And the interesting thing is that, you know, Hillary Clinton is having an easier time accepting it than they can. It's, kind of, it's fascinating. Um, Unless it's just an attention thing. And I guess, you know, here's the, if you put you know, Hillary Clinton, is, is there still a chance for Hillary to be the president? I wonder if that's just the sheer, you know, influx of hits makes the sort of, uh, uh, you know, fanning the flames of this speculation more worthwhile. Unbelievable. She barely beat a radical socialist who couldn't even comb his hair in 2016. And then uh, she was supposed to beat Donald Trump in a walk. Couldn't do that. So obviously what the party's going to do four years later is give her another shot without even having her go through the process. Jim, on that note, have a fabulous weekend. Oh, can't wait for it to get here. <laughs> have a good weekend, Greg. You too. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review. Also, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Have a fantastic weekend, and your stool will be waiting for you again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.